Hi everyone, welcome back to Roll for Enterprise at the end of January of 2021. And it's been an exciting January. We're all looking forward to some nice, boring news after 2020. But so far, every single week of 2021 has been, hold my beer. But in the enterprise world, at least, things have not been quite so exciting. There's been no major news on our beat So we want to kind of take a step back and look at a few different topics and how they all fit together. So one thing is, how do we deliver applications? How do we deliver business services these days? So there are a few trends that's kind of on a collision course, at least in terms of hype. And we want to pick apart what's hype, what's real, what's useful. So one is no codes and low code that we've spoken about before, this idea that You can have business specialists who are not programmers who can plug together bits and pieces, Lego being the usual analogy, uh, or, uh, you know, uh, flowcharts, and put together something that will run and people can then use to achieve some sort of business task. And Oracle just launched their own Apex offering around low-code. Salesforce is already in this market. There are a bunch of players. Another approach is the very much bottom-up approach with Kubernetes and people wiring together all of the different technical bits and pieces and ingredients. And then the final approach is ignore all of that, get someone else to do the difficult bits, just pay with your credit card uh, to consume something as a service. And everything is becoming as a service these days. In fact, the question is starting to be, how do you wire together the different as a service offerings that you have from multiple different companies into a single coherent solution that you can look at and manage and control the cost and spending and compliance and policies for all in one place. So let's start with you, Mike. You had some thoughts in the before we kicked off the recording. Why don't you recap for the listeners what you were saying? No, I, I mean, from my perspective here, I think the as-a-service um, has, has really empowered end users has really empowered regular people who are trying to do their job day in, day out, because they are able to go out there and sign up for any software, any tool, anything that can help them do their work more efficiently. And because of that, I mean, SaaS has really kind of taken over the world. And then you lay on top of it that it has this ability where somebody without significant coding background or technology background can start to make changes and improve it, you know, what we would call low code, no code. And then it starts to take shape. And now the other phenomenon that I see in in kind of the enterprise is that, you know, you start to see these people who have adopted these, um, you know, SaaS offerings, whatever it may be. And it's gone through like an entire organization and now you see these tickets come into IT incidents, but really what it's starting to do is they're starting to request and make small changes to integrate these into other platforms, into potentially Office 65 or Gmail to get like mail integration to these products and, and other factors. And now you're starting to see that they are building a cohesive, integrated system, and it's not complicated. Meanwhile, in the dungeons of, of IT, People are, are trying to get rather complex things achieved in terms of Kubernetes and all this. And I don't know that that, I mean, I think the users are so empowered that, I mean, it's just going to continue to fuel it. And 
yeah, nothing can stop it now. I, I think we're past uh, escape velocity on this one, and it's it's just going to continue to ramp up. The only thing is, yeah, the proliferation of different SaaS tools. But yeah, maybe that's not so bad if people do get so efficient. So you're saying Shadow IT one? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say so. I, I, it's it's even bigger than I think Shadow IT. I, I think people's efficiency won at the end of the day. Yeah, and that's what the business wanted. That was why the whole fight against Shadow IT, even at the time, I was saying, hang on, if people are going around the IT offering that is prepared for them, that is no effort for them, they're going to significant efforts to work around that. That's a signpost to something that you missed, some needs, some requirements on the part of users that you need to be addressing. If you make it easy for them to do the right thing, people, you know, they're not masochists. They'll go along with the policy compliant option. It's only when the policy compliant option isn't sufficient, doesn't do what they need, that they'll go looking for alternatives. There are no more business is not in the shadows anymore. So, what does that mean long term for IT departments? That's that's really the good question to ask here, right? It, you know, it's it's really just enablers. You know, it's uh, it's putting the tape together that delivers uh, I- infrastructure. It's becoming quite simple, and, and potentially some of your big, yeah, background applications for reporting and 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 so on and, and so forth. For yeah, I would almost say control. Let's say, uh, or if you're a software company, you're building software, right? Then then your user base is very technical. Um, but yeah, I I think you need to start questioning. Um, what IT is doing, and, and to be to be honest, and I, I take this even a step further. Like I, I don't see people, you know, you talk about chatbots, you talk about like people have assistants. I, I think AI assistants are not far from from reality for a lot of people. I mean, if there was somebody offering me a, a, a SaaS that was an AI assistant and plugs into my life and starts telling me what to do and 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 helping me achieve certain things that's like superhuman power that's where i go i mean people worry about like it's stealing our jobs I, i'm like oh you know I, I could do a lot more if i had the ability to work with it what is the impact of SaaS on the devops devops movement uh in your opinion mike and you too dominic uh, that might be better for dominic to to take um on the sure. devops side sure i mean from my point of view, some people saw this as a conflict because it does take away SaaS as an idea, does take away a certain amount of control. SaaS offerings are packaged. They only expose uh, so many controls to their end users by definition, and that's part of what you buy into, that uh, a lot of choice has already been done for you. A lot of the management toil has been taken care of for you. Uh, but for someone who wants ultimate control and to recompile their own kernel and whatnot, uh, that that's kind of against that that whole ethos. But on the other hand, it has enabled a whole new set of development through the function as a service type offerings that let you develop just the bits and pieces of logic that you care about and wire them together in, in a different way. So it's a different way of thinking about applications. It's kind of a culmination of serverless. Uh, it's gone all the way from you have to have a physical piece of kit and you have to deploy the operating system and install a whole layer of uh, middleware and database and whatnot, and then you can start coding, to you can open up a web browser, swipe your credit card, and start typing code into the web browser window, and it will be executed somewhere. You don't know, you don't care, uh, but you get the the result. 
So it's to my mind, it's extended the scope of DevOps in a new direction, which is different from the old one, but uh, still with that same vision, that same goal. Yeah, and it's it's worth noting that we're we still have a little bit of work to do with serverless and uh, no code movement, even low code, and that's that back end as a service, which we're going to hear more about the next couple of years. But I I agree with you, Dominic. I think it's um, the paradigm has shifted. We just have to think about it differently uh, how we approach DevOps. Yeah, and there's a four five one research report which came out. Unfortunately, the link we'll put in the show notes is only for people who already have a subscription, but there's an excerpt in there. But they're talking about SaaS having created an environment where departmental purchasing encourages people to try out subscription-based point solutions when they need something or face a sudden shift in needs. And that's basically what we're talking about. Instead of frowning on that and saying oh no that's uh shadow it we need to shut that down we need to block us at the firewall and said say okay let's figure out how we can uh enable that how we can welcome it how we can figure out either an overall SaaS solution that we choose as an enterprise that covers all our needs or an integrated framework with uh, interconnections between the different SaaS solutions that each department chose in isolation, such that we can still have some level of control and visibility and cost and compliance and yada, yada, yada. What's interesting is you hear about a lot of these companies that, uh, you know, they're focused on application experience, some of these older networking companies and so forth, you know, application experience, application experience. But what does that look like for some of these companies if it is no code, low code, right? If it is serverless, um, you know, and then Mike, to your point around chatbots, I mean, what, what do we do to ensure that experience? You know, the, the movement that's happening is reducing friction everywhere. So everything, like if you can make anything frictionless, people will pick it up, even if potentially there's something better out there. But if you've reduced friction, people will take it, right? And, and people yeah, will adopt I used to talk about this back in the, the early days of cloud when Lilac and I were in the trenches. And we would talk about uh, one of the things I latched onto was Javon's paradox. So Abraham Javon's was this Victorian economist, and he was trying to forecast coal consumption for the British Empire at the time. And the thing that he eventually understood was that if the price of coal went below a certain level, new applications, new uses for coal would become economically feasible, and that would drive higher consumption. And if you factored that into your model, that would then mean that certain mines and deposits, which hadn't been economical before, would, with that higher consumption, become economical to exploit. And it enormously complicated this model, but it did enable a whole so- whole set of different outcomes. And that's kind of what we see in IT. If we remove friction, people will not just do the same uh, the same amount of IT business for less money but they will do a whole lot more because things that previously weren't possible, weren't feasible, uh, couldn't be done in the time and with the money available, now suddenly you can. And which, which means friction takes on two aspects, right? Aspects of like the difficulty aspect and the cost aspect because cost does open it up to, to move, right? To, to what you're saying, Dominic. Yeah, time is money. It's interesting. We bring up the cost aspect. It's, I spoke with somebody this past two people this past week, and they're bringing up you know cost as an issue with cloud, and you know people are going to come back on prem because of cost. And I think people are missing the boat with cost. I'm not trying to pivot the conversation, but you bring up cost with these things, and I don't know does that really play as much a factor in the businesses. Obviously, they don't want to spend you know millions of dollars on something that they shouldn't, but 
uh, I think this cost um, topic comes up a lot. I tend to see from, I wouldn't say older companies, but companies that are still maybe latching on to legacy. And I think they're missing the picture because what we're talking about is real experience, not cost. So speaking as a vendor of both on-premises and SaaS solutions, um, I very, very rarely hear talk of cost, just straight up cost as an objection. What I do hear is that people don't like sudden surprise bills. <laughs> they want transparency in their costs. When you're buying a physical piece of kit, you buy it, you amortize it. It doesn't suddenly cost you more money when it's already installed. You knew how much it cost and you know it's electricity requirements and whatnot. You can model that very easily. With SaaS, that's not always possible and different providers give you different levels of transparency and forecastability in your cost. So that can get very complicated and people do get nasty surprises. Oh my God, I left this particular analysis job running overnight and in the morning I came in and it cost me $35,000. And that's when you have that intersection of the technical thing that happened and your contractual conditions and financial relationship with that vendor, how that's going to be accounted for. Maybe they say, okay, here's what you did. That was silly. Don't do it again. We'll let you off this once, but don't make a habit of it. Or maybe they'll actually come after you for $35,000 on your credit card. It's, that's the sort of thing that people don't like to see. And there's starting to be a lot more sophistication uh, that I'm seeing on the part of users around that. Uh, talking about not just, okay, what's your unit cost, but what happens at the edges in the extreme scenarios? Uh, how does that scale if we go this way, if we go that way, and wanting to, to have that visibility? And I think that's a sign of the maturity that it's not just a, you know, Alice and Bob off on their own with the corporate credit card, but now it's an official purchase, it's a strategic choice, and therefore the adults in the room are starting to get involved. And, and people learn and adapt, right? And, and those, like the, when those scenarios happen, it typically becomes a sourcing discussion with whatever vendor, but then people adapt and, and people know, okay, we need some kind of monitoring tool and it'll shut down processes. It, you know, the same thing happened in the, oh man, and I hate to say it, in the mainframe and, and, um, and mini world, uh, you know, and people develop tools to control that. And I think the same will happen here. I, I think, you know, going back and, and just taking it back, like application experience, I think if you're talking to application experience, you're already gotten off on the bad, on a bad foot. Because if you look at a lot of these SaaS offerings, have you ever seen, I mean, how rare is it that somebody complains about the performance of a SaaS offering? I mean, that's really rare. And, and Dominic will go into, well, if you take US East Coast and these cloud outages, but that's exactly what it is. It's only when there's cloud outages because bandwidth has become commodity and people can get tons of bandwidth for fairly inexpensive amounts. I think, you know, you might say, oh, the cloud is expensive and things are going to move, but stuff is in the cloud where there's bandwidth rich, where it's fractions of a penny. And I think when people compare costs, they're not looking at total cost of ownership of the support and the people watching it and all this, where in the cloud, typically it start, you know, that friction of all that stuff moves away. So I don't know if you're talking application experience, then you have a hard set application that's designed a little differently and is not using some of the modern day, yeah, paradigms, whatever you want to call them to develop that application. And maybe I'm a little off and, and yes, there still are some, some old school apps out there, but it's, it's, it's different. It's, it's really changed. Yeah, no, you're absolutely correct. And that's what I always say when these surveys come out that 
so-and-so huge percentage of organizations are not seeing the benefit of a move to the cloud? And my response is, of course not. You just forklifted your existing crafty applications to the cloud and expect to get a benefit. And you probably did get a small benefit, but that ran out immediately. One of the benefits of moving to the cloud is if you adopt a cloud-first mentality and you start thinking that way, is that you can iterate, you can be agile, you can change things, you can respond to user demands, market opportunities, changing conditions. Uh, you can iterate on your technology side as well. These cloud solutions typically don't have the year, multi-year release cycle. They might have monthly release cycles, and you can take advantage of that in your own stuff. It's just a different way of looking at it, though. Yeah, yeah it's interesting that you brought that up. I, I agree. And what we're really talking about when you say the old and the new world, that's why we're seeing an explosion of these API companies, companies focused on APIs, right? I mean, they're, they're doing really well in the industry because you have to bridge that gap from the old legacy to the new, the modern. You're right. People think they can do this lift and shift. It doesn't work. 80 plus percent failure rate in this digital transformation of the cloud is because they, they take this wrong approach. But again, I think, I think you bring up a very good point, Dominic. And I think this is why these API management companies are, uh, are doing really, really well right now. It's integration. You integrate the best products and the other products, um, yeah, fall off to the wayside. You know, when you when you look at SaaS, it, everybody, like, you know, going back again to Applicate, everybody's talking about uh, how profitable SaaS companies are because they have this, like, recurring revenue model, right? So Adobe adopted it, and they're, and they're doing great. Um, and, and everybody's trying to move to it. I think where it gets scary is there are some applications that are, like, on-prem or big heavy, like in somebody's data center, um, potentially ERPs like SAP that are trying to move to, to, to a SaaS model, move to the cloud. And I don't know that those are all done right and, if, and how long it's going to take for them to optimize where they are done right. Because, I, I, you know, there's going to be a lot of pain in, in, in moving some of these companies to, um, to a recurring revenue model, um, which, you know, sometimes people kind of mix up that recurring revenue model with, with the SaaS model. And yes, SaaS models are recurring revenue, but I, I don't think you need to be fully SaaS to be recurring revenue, if that, if that makes sense to, to any of you guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can do it. Crazy. I might talk crazy right now, yeah. Yeah, you can do it whichever way around you like. But uh, yeah, that, the interesting thing is the transition point from CapEx to OpEx uh, expenditure because they come out of different po pockets. They're accounted for differently. And it's not an easy transition to make for either buyer or seller uh, in that transaction to switch models. It's an easy place for people to stumble, even if they've got the technology part right. How much of this is a people problem? To bring it full circle, we're talking about the business leading the charge. I mean, how many of these traditional IT uh, people or, you know, uh, developers or, or even even from my line of, of work, right, the networking teams, right, that are really engaged in the cloud, or is it a different group of people? And is there some disconnect that has to be connected? Uh, I think that, in my opinion, I think there is. I think there is some uh, some disconnect. I mean, who's leading the charge with SaaS applications? They're outside of IT a lot of a lot of the time, right? Um, who's looking at these no-code um, opportunities or looking to deploy that? And so, how are they communicating with the existing IT department? Are they having the right meetings? Are they you know, are they working in the on the on the planning? You know, while they're planning this, and I think that's probably critical. But I'm curious, what you guys see? I think it's always been like the young generation versus old generation, and and that hasn't changed. I mean, it's just like what you talk about or or what your views are have changed. So I think you know there are some of you know um, 
more mature people in the workforce who can adapt the mindset, and then there are those who who can't, right? And and that's really where the problem is. Um, so, how many people in those organizations can really talk about cloud in a coherent and and factual way? And how many have this like uh, you know view on it of of what they've heard and and what they've seen and are are, are worried to step into it? I think you know. People that are new in their careers, that that risk factor is removed, and they really take the leap, and then and then you see it catch fire. And, and I think it's it's no different um, here. I, I don't know what you think, Dominic, but you know, I, I, I would say it's kind of a, a maturity thing, the the difference maker. To a point, but I also wonder how much that's going to continue to be a factor longer term. Once you get used to doing your business in the web browser, the cognitive load of shifting from one app that runs in the web browser to another app that runs in the web browser starts to be a lot lower than when they were fat clients that did look dramatically different uh, from one vendor to another. So if you switch from Siebel to one of the the competitors, it would take you a long time to find your way around. I'm not sure that's uh, still the case today if you do that, the equivalent shift in the, in the SaaS tools just because there's less customizability there. And so I I do wonder about that, that uh, with business people starting to be more involved in these decisions as well, the, the differences start to be less because the business needs are more at the fore and not just IT's needs to switch to the new technology platform, the new hotness. You know, I, I think about it, but the... The other game changer, I think, is unlocking data. I think we've we've built some moats around data, and, and some for for right reasons, right? Uh, potentially, you don't want everybody accessing everything. But I think if you were able to give data or whatever company data you have, and and give uh, more access to some of these people who are using these um, these SaaS tools, then I think you would unlock some other potentials. But of course. Yeah, you have to know that people are are treating that data correctly. I I don't, you know, I think people say they figured it out, but I I don't think enterprises have really um, figured it all out in in terms of data because, yeah, they they want people to use the apps that they've put forward rather than, you know, anything, um, you know, they, they can scrounge up. Yeah, and there's one thing that you said before that I think is more a statement of of hope and ambition than it is yet a statement of facts. Is that uh, bandwidth is cheap, data can move around easily. Data still has huge gravity, uh, both because the data sets have got bigger as the connections have got faster. So I'm not sure it's that much faster to transfer an entire data set uh, simply because the data sets have got that much larger over time. And the other thing is when you're in cloud, Data is often free to move around within your primary cloud provider or cheap to move around within that single provider. But if you want to move it to a different provider, then you're paying through the nose to to do data transfer. And so that's something you try to minimize. So data gravity is still a very real concept. And there you might find some some data staying on-prem because it's hard to move away. Um, yeah. Although Amazon and, and, will literally drive a container <laughs> truck full of disk to the back door of your data center, hook it up through fiber, suck everything down, and drive it away. So, you know, there are ways around that. And then and then they want to charge you when you get your data back, right? When you get your data back, they charge you. And that's, yeah, that's yeah. A, a business model. 
Well, as our taco yeah. friends know, truck roll ain't free. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, so I'm sure we'll come back to, to that one. This is the sort of thing that is a long-term transition, and uh, we've got some uh, potential future guests to, to address this topic with as well. But uh, another thing that came up was uh, remote work. I was in the news again, uh, the couple of surveys that came out. So we haven't talked about this for a little while, actually, apart from my monitor. Thanks, guys. Uh, <laughs> do you have any new tips, any new thoughts uh, over the last few months as remote work has gone from that initial sprint crazy and you can't buy a webcam for love nor money because everyone's been buying webcams to this is just how it's going to be for probably a good while yet. Make your workspace as comfortable as possible. I think it's, um, I mean, I, I've, I've been making changes since the beginning and I think I'm at a point where like, I, I feel um, comfortable, really comfortable in my workspace now where, where I come to do yeah work, let's say. Um, and some people with space, you know, in, in, in their homes don't have that benefit, but I think make it comfortable. And, and the other reason I've made it comfortable, because I, I, I don't see a, you know, I don't see it coming back to where I'm going into an office five days a week anytime soon. Um, even when we do go back, I, I think we've been quite efficient being home because of the tools, because of um, what we can do at home. I think it's it's proof to, to a lot of people that, businesses can keep running. Uh, and yes, there are people in companies that are still going to the office, still making service calls because you have to. And, and those people, uh, obviously, we owe a debt of gratitude to. But it's, um, yeah, those who can work from home, I think, you know, make it comfortable. That's that's what, that, uh, that's my my biggest uh, kind of takeaway. I, I think the equipment matters, but it's, yeah. I mean, as long as you got a good monitor, which, you know, Dominic, eventually you will be. <laughs> I think it's also I think it's also important to set boundaries working from home. You know, when is your workday end? Can you really just leave it there in that little corner or that office that you have set aside? I, I think more and more people with with the stresses of the pandemic and uh, the emotional toll as well. Let's be honest, of the pandemic, I think it's going to be critical for for people to realize that they can't do that. If not, uh, you know, the, these workers aren't going to be as efficient because they're going to burn out. They're going to be all sorts of various other issues that are going to get in the way of them doing their work. So I, I think companies bear some of the burden of this as well. I mean, I know there are some companies, I won't mention names that uh, are focused on weekends and nights and emails. And, you know, they feel like because they're not in the office face to face, we got to set up uh, you know meetings to do things and we have to, you know, get on uh, web, you know, web meetings for this and that. And I, I think that is a problem. So I, I think this is going to be a bigger issue. I thought that was the case at the beginning. I don't think it's a case now. I mean, what I hear from from employees is that they're they're really kind of appreciating um, the fact that they don't spend time, um, tra you know, transferring from home to office. To, I mean, that time has has really made a difference on some and on some people's lives. And and to be honest, I mean, you know, one big uh, impact. People don't listen to podcasts anymore. That's a problem. For us. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that, that's absolutely true. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to make time for that stuff but i think people are enjoying their time in in other ways and and you know i hopefully for most people it's been a quality of life improvement for some yeah it, it hasn't so it it remains to be seen in, in that aspect i'm glad it's like that where you are i don't i don't think it's like that everywhere i mean we will see we shall see but i think uh I, I think it's a mixed bag right now 
Yeah, I think so. The the good companies are doing it right, and they they're helping employees set up their their home working situations. And the three of us are lucky enough that we have actual offices that we can keep separate from uh, our family lives, both in terms of space and in terms of time. And that's not everyone, although many people, even people I know uh, who were not in that situation at the beginning of this, have changed that up. They've you know, opened up that spare bedroom or they've moved out of the big city into a larger home somewhere else since they don't have to commute to an office every day. So people have been making that change. And it's going to be interesting to see a year, a couple of years from now when everyone's vaccinated and things are back to normal, how many people decide they, they want to be back in the big city uh, versus who doesn't. Uh, so there are going to be some interesting impacts downstream of this thing. But yeah, I'd agree. So separate your work as much as possible from the rest of your stuff, both in terms of the physical space and in terms of uh, just the apps, the, the environments that you, you work in. My wife works a lot in WhatsApp, and I would hate that, the mixing of personal and professional conversations. Like, no, 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 no. I have Slack for work, and I have other tools for not work. And one of the ways in which I down tools is I stop looking at Slack, or I look at Slack you know, once at the end of the evening just to make sure nothing's blown up, but not with a frequency I look at it during the working day. And I would definitely advise people to do that. But that leads on nicely to our recommendations for the week. Uh, so one of the things that I found in the past week is something that helps you concentrate and focus and avoid distractions. It's called Hush. It's a little content blocker for Safari. So sorry, all of you non-Safari users. But what it deals with is all the cookie warnings. You know, when you go to pretty much any website these days, it pops up a cookie warning and subscribe to our newsletter. And by the way, we have an app and this, that, and the other. And you're like, no, seriously, I just wanted to read that article. And then maybe we can talk about all of the other stuff. Hush makes it all go away. It's magic. It's wonderful. I cannot recommend it enough. And it's free. So it works with Safari, mobile, and desktop. Uh, you need to install those separately and then enable them in your settings. But once you do, it just makes the web a much nicer place again. So what about you guys? Anything big that you found this week? Surprised you're still using Safari, but okay. Um, so, no, I... I <laughs> yeah, it's no good. Okay. And, and no Apple announcement on monitor, so you're still like in the monitor flipping a coin stage. Yes, yes, yes I am. Okay, okay. <laughs> Uh, no, all this talk is SaaS, you know, and, and people give me a hard time, especially our co-hosts here about Dropbox, because I love to use Dropbox. I think it's so easy. I mean, when you talk about friction, I mean, we have people who refuse to use OneNote, uh, not OneNote, but OneDrive from Microsoft, because like the Dropbox sharing, the way it operates, it's just so much easier than other tools. I think Dropbox is awesome. I think everybody should check it out. Everybody should have an account. Yeah, I um uh, my recommendation is Dropbox. I Absolutely. do I do like Dropbox. I have Dropbox. What I don't like is it keeps trying to do more. And it's like, no, I don't want you to do more. I just want you to do that one thing. Do it well and stick to it. And they keep saying, no, 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 we want to do this. Nope, no, 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 no. Shut them down. <laughs> I, I, I think when they integrated some of the office tools, it really started to tick off some people. But I, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's about, again, I, again, it's about ease of use, right? Because I, I think what, you, what a lot of people forget is a lot of people at their home off, you know, home do not have uh basically drop uh, you know an office account because it's pricey they might be using google docs so it, you know it helps and i think dropbox uh, is doing it right so i i, I wouldn't I, i'm not a complainer so not gonna hit them up on, on that one <laughs> 
And Zach with the sneaky last minute thing. Oh my God, I just opened this link. I have major lust and envy. Tell us more. That's right. A little home office inspiration as a follow on to our conversation. Uh, just a bunch of creative solutions, a lot of neat little things here um, from Grove Made. Uh, everything from, you know, neat wooden little uh, wooden desk stands to mouse pads to it just everything to make your life a little bit easier working from home. I've been eyeing a few things here and um, maybe something for your new monitor on there too, right? I don't know, but I think there, if anything, it's really, uh, it's really neat to, to go there oh and check God. it out. Ah, this, this is really cool stuff. Oh, well, I can see myself spending some significant money here. Okay. Well, take a look for the listeners. Do take a look. This is uh, all good stuff. Ignore Dropbox. Uh, you, you've probably already made it. <laughs> no, but seriously, <laughs> I don't know how many people were going to convert there. I think most people by this point have already made their choice in cloud storage, whether it's iCloud or Dropbox or Box.net or what have you. But uh, I do like this uh, this other stuff. But with that, thank you all for listening as ever. You can follow the show on Twitter at Roll4Enterprise or on our LinkedIn page. And please do send us your comments, suggestions, moans, groans, gripes, complaints. Uh, keep your attitude positive and your test results negative. <laughs> Thank you, Dominic. Thanks, everybody. Have yeah, a good one. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. Um.